When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I was paying for vacations all wrong. (laughs) I was missing out on miles. I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? I don't know, maybe that fancy hotel upgrade that you have always been dreaming about. Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Oh, man. Have you ever, like, I mean, I'm sure you have. You come home and you have to cook something and, like, then you eat it and you're like, this was fine. I guess I'm exhausted. You, I just think not having to cook at the end of a long day is like such a privilege and a pleasure. Of course, people like it. Welcome to Everyone's Talking Money podcast. I'm your host, Shauna Game. There's no judgment, no dumb questions, just smart conversations about you and your money. So come on in and grab a seat. Everyone is welcome here. Everyone knows that putting money aside in savings is really important. But then what? Should you keep your savings locked in a CD for a higher rate or keep them liquid in a money market? Can your checking account help you save too? Or is it about creating the right combination? We believe real banking is a conversation. Let's talk about the savings options that are right for you. Learn more at sandyspringbank.com. Member FDIC. Want to know what the biggest budget buster is almost unanimously? Okay, I need a drum roll for this. It is the money you spend eating out. No doubt. You know, we all know that January is always a time of year when we're trying to figure out how to do a lot of things differently, maybe even better. And money, of course, is always at the top of the list. It has been said by many experts that there are only two ways to better your money situation. They are number one, you got to earn more. Or number two, you got to spend less. Those are both, I find, very easier said than done. But I thought it would be time to dive into this idea of spending less and looking at eating out to understand why do we all love to eat out? And we do it no matter how loud our bank accounts are yelling at us to please stop. Our guest on this episode, Catherine Spires, is host of the Smart Mouth podcast, and she is also a food history expert. So Catherine believes the why behind eating out is very simple. It's just we're all plain exhausted. In this super fun episode, we talk about the history of eating out, how car culture led to the fast food explosion, and how that really revolutionized 
how much money you spend eating out, and lots of other fascinating trends in eating out that will give you some seriously good trivia questions to pose at your next dinner party. If you love eating out as much as I honestly do, you will love this episode. Let's start talking. Catherine, I am so excited to have you on Everyone's Talking Money. Thanks for being here. Of course. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, we had you as a guest on one of our popular Thanksgiving food episodes a few years ago, and so thrilled to have you back talking about a subject we all love, eating out. (laughs) Yes. And I know from working with people for years that eating out is like the biggest budget and goal buster. I mean, if we want to figure out where everyone's money goes wrong, we usually look to, you know, where <laughs> where we're spending money eating out. We all have this like ability to spend money on eating out with with just kind of like reckless abandon. I'm I'm sure that's never happened to you, right? Oh, of course, never. I've never been shocked by my credit card bill. <laughs> <laughs> well, through my research, I could see that the dining out really originated in in France and China long before obviously it came to the to the US. And in a history.com article, it said that as shown by the history of restaurants in both China and France, you can't have restaurants without a large and hungry urban population. So it looks like the first restaurants in the U.S. popped up somewhere in New York City, which makes sense, which is where the urban population was. But there's a lot we don't know to this story. So tell us what you know about, you know, how this love of eating out really started for us. Well, I will say that, like you said, um, uh, restaurants as we know them now sort of originated in France and in China, because France and China are sort of like the world's culinary leaders in all ways. But depending on how you define restaurant, and I think, you know, in the pandemic, we kind of expanded our definition because there's ghost kitchens and there's pop-ups and there's all that. You could say that restaurants really go back to ancient times. There is record of them, written record as far back as ancient Egypt, which means they were sure in other places as well. <laughs> in ancient Greece and Rome, they had snack bars. Really? So is that a restaurant? I don't know. You go outside your house, you pay for pre-prepared food. Maybe you don't get to sit down, but I think it kind of counts as a restaurant. Perhaps. I kind of like that, right? So it's, <laughs> it's like we, we've kind of come back to how it was many, 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 many years ago, like redefining eating out. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, for most of human history, not every house had an oven. So if there was a commercial baker in town, you could actually pay for oven time. Sometimes there were people in your little village who owned an oven and they would charge. You could bring your prepared meals over and they would bake them for you. That's kind of restaurant-y. And then of course, you know, as you mentioned, like big urban areas, I definitely think that that's sort of the East Asian model. Because in China, going back at least 1500 years, you see record of these amazing restaurants that were just like the end all, like you could feast in ways you couldn't feast anywhere else than at these restaurants. And then in Japan in the 1500s, they invented kaiseki, which is sort of an immersive experience in the modern terminology. It's all about the seasons and art and like the right tableware. So that's one big center for restaurants or cities. And then also just like traveling. If you're, you know, if you're setting out into the unknown, you're going to have to stop and eat somewhere. And so that's, you know, a lot of people, there's that whole trope about the people who really made money during the gold rush were the people who owned the hotels and the restaurants and the general stores. Because people Mm, who don't have established farms, they got to eat somewhere, right? Interesting. I mean, this may seem like kind of a a silly question to ask. I'm not going to use the word dumb. (laughs) Silly (laughs) question to ask. Like, Why do you think we all love eating out? Like, what do we get from it? 
Oh man. Have you ever like, I mean, I'm sure you have, you come home and you have to cook something and like, then you eat it and you're like, this is fine. I guess I'm exhausted. (laughs) You just think not having to cook at the end of a long day is like such a privilege and a pleasure. Of course people like it. Right. I I mean, who wouldn't to have someone else cook some amazing, delicious food for you? Exactly. <laughs> so then, okay, so we we got that in, in the US it really started in New York, which is where like most of the population really started, at least on the East Coast. Mm-hmm. When did eating out here in the US, when did it really take off? So I I would say it it correlates a lot with car culture. Okay. Um, because you know, it became easier to go places once you have a car, right? Um and I think I think that you will find, I mean, everything just developed so quickly post-industrial revolution. And I think like everything in the 20th century, everything exploded, including restaurants. Yes, that makes sense. I mean, you think about sort of the car culture and people out going places and then they've got to stop and eat somewhere. And you think of like Route 66 and people taking these like driving trips with their family. And so, you know, I would imagine that that really supported like when we got more highways and mm-hmm. and just routes that really supported, uh, you know, restaurants popping up. Yeah, that's absolutely right. The highways and then you have like roadside diners and fast food restaurants. It's all it's all part of the same thing, I think. So I, when I was thinking about this conversation we were going to have, it reminded me of the story, which was, I guess, kind of the, you know, precipice for for having this conversation. And there was this couple that I had worked with a couple years ago. And uh, they said, hey, you know, we're like trying to buy a house. And we've been trying for years and like something isn't working. And they lived in Hollywood and in what was at the time a rent controlled building. And they made very good money. Like between the two of them, I think they made somewhere around like $150,000. And so they just was like head scratching, couldn't figure out why they weren't able to save for a house. And so they hired me and I came over and I'm like, okay, do you have a budget? And they're like, yeah, here it is. And I'm like, when did you laugh last look at this? And they're like, oh, I don't know, a few months ago. We haven't really changed anything. Well, they had had a line item for eating out and they thought they were spending like $300 a month, but they told me that they loved uh, treating their friends. Like that was something they were really passionate about and they would they would go to these restaurants and they would, you know, have a, have a nice bottle of wine and like treat their friends. And so when I did some research behind the scenes, I saw that they were actually spending somewhere between like three and five thousand dollars a month <laughs> eating out when they thought they were spending three hundred and like their their, you know, eyes got big and they were just in shock. Like, how was this possible? And I think it's really interesting, like specifically around eating out, you know, we talk about like our passion for having somebody else like cook us something. But, you know, when we're talking about money, it, it does this like weird thing where we just we just have like, almost like selective amnesia, we we don't, <laughs> uh, you know, like add up how much we've eaten out. And we, like, we really let money like sabotage so much because yeah, we don't want to come home and cook food. I just I just think it's really kind of interesting that that happens to us. I wonder what your what your thoughts are. I think it's because you got to eat, 
right? So you, maybe you don't think of it, it doesn't seem like a big purchase, like uh, if you have to fix your car or something, you literally have to eat every single day, sometimes more than once. <laughs> <laughs> I will say though, that the difference between thinking you're spending $300 and actually spending three to 5,000, that's astonishing. I am I astonished. <laughs> I know. It really was. I mean, I was astonished. Like I was like, come on, like you guys have to be, you know, you have to know you're spending, you know, and they were just like, no, we we really, I mean, we we thought we were maybe spending a little bit more, but we didn't really have, you know, an idea. And then when they made sort of the shift to go back to, you know, a more reasonable number, within like four months, they were able to buy a house because they had that down payment saved. But I think that really goes to like the emotions around money, but also the, the emotions around eating out and, and going to someplace, especially if like you've had a crap day. You know, I think a lot of people love to to eat out because it it fills you with, I don't know, whatever that sensation you get from food is. Yeah. And I do think, I, I don't know if there's any way to quantify it, but I do feel like in North America, we don't think about dining out as much. Like, I feel like in other countries, it tends to be more intentional. Um, mm, whereas right. I think it tends, maybe maybe especially in urban areas, to just be like, you don't really think about the difference between eating in a restaurant versus eating at home. It's, it's, they're very, I don't know, like you don't make a big deal out of going out to dinner. It's an everyday mm. occurrence. Yeah. I'm also wondering, you know, how did the, the culture around, I don't know if you know the history behind this, but I'm, I'm wondering if this has sort of shaped the eating out culture here in the U S like when we had the TV tray dinner kind of concept <laughs> come into play and, you know, I mean, I can remember as a little kid, probably dating myself here, but where, you know, we had some of those, I mean, they were not very tasty at all, but no. they were like the kind of in between of going out to dinner and like, you know, somebody in the house cooking dinner. I wonder how like those sort of trends over the years have shaped, you know, restaurants and, uh, you know, kind of our overall thoughts on eating out. Interesting. I don't know, but I do know that, you know, one thing I always go on about is how I think um, home economics should be brought back to schools, because I think that there genuinely are a lot of people who don't really know how to cook. And it's it's exhausting and it's terrifying if you've never done it before. So I can understand, too, why people would rely like time and exhaustion from work aside <laughs> would rely on frozen <laughs> foods and that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. So you know, are there any other kind of times throughout like our last history where you've really seen kind of eating out evolve over the years? I mean, we obviously just went through the pandemic and saw, you know, eating out evolve a lot, but there have there been any other periods of time where this really kind of changed culture? Uh, you can think about like overall trends and there's so many to choose from. I mean, one of them, we kind of touched on this a little bit, but would be fast food. Oh, yeah. Um, which I don't think is like, I, I actually think we have it backwards. I don't think it's that Americans started to, you know, become addict addicted to fast foods. I think it's that urban planning made it easier to get around in a car than on foot. And the restaurants capitalized on that by instituting drive-thrus. Um, and I think also people are working at least nine hour days. Again, this all comes back to exhaustion. It's just like that keeps coming up. <laughs> I think people are like, the easiest thing I can do is not get out of my car. And so that's what they're going to do. Um, so I think that that has had a lot a lot of influence on the way Americans eat. Um, and then sort of in line with city planning, but like a little bit of just a corollary to it is 
when, you know, more and more people immigrate to the United States over time and they bring their food with them and Americans have become more sophisticated about other foods. And I know what the stereotypes are about United States citizens, but I actually think we have a greater knowledge and appreciation for uh, the world of cuisine than in a lot of other places. We we're lucky to have exposure to a lot of the world's food. Do you know, is there a, a specific kind of food that we love to eat out the most or does that just totally differ depending on where you live you know you know i've actually looked into this multiple times and i'm really frustrated by the way the research is done on this because the way it's always broken down is like um by fast food restaurants fast casual restaurants casual restaurants right like, well, that is not that interesting of a differentiation also i don't think it's telling us how people would prefer to eat all things being equal. I think it's that most restaurants in the United States are fast casual. Obviously, I think mm, a much more right. interesting way of looking at it would be like, which country's cuisine do we like eating the best? But I haven't seen any research, large scale research that goes in any deeper than like Mexican versus Italian, mm. which is just so everyone likes Mexican and Italian. Like, right. I, I, mean... don't, I don't need to know about that. <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you have, can you pinpoint, uh, like in your your personal history, what has been like the, you would quantify as the most amazing meal out you've ever had? Oh my goodness. Well, I mean, given my work, I've been really lucky to have a lot of most amazing meals and they've really run the gamut. Um, sometimes a new, flashy, expensive fully subsidized by investors, restaurant will come out and the food is something you've never seen before. And that's always very cool. But then also, especially living in Los Angeles, where we've got the San Gabriel Valley, which is famous for its Chinese and Vietnamese food. Listen, if you've been using Mint to manage your money, I have got some news for you. First, the bad news. As you might know, Mint is shutting down for good. But the good news, well, there is a way better alternative that is a personal favorite of mine, Monarch Money. And I'm not the only lover of Monarch Money. Many Mint users are turning to Monarch Money and just raving about it. I used to manage my money with an Excel spreadsheet. I know, so archaic, and it was so time-consuming. I tried all of the apps, but I just didn't find one I liked until I found Monarch. And I've got to tell you a secret. Monarch is so easy to use with a very intuitive design. You can even collaborate with your partner and you can customize Monarch for whatever your needs are. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com etm. Let's go back to the collaboration bit. Because we know money is a leading cause of divorce and breakups, Monarch has built in collaboration features so you can invite your partner at no extra cost. You can see all your finances, make a budget together, get insights on your cash. Yes, cue the confetti. There will literally not be any more arguments over money. And if you've been frustrated with personal finance apps that are cluttered with ads, difficult to use, or rarely updated, so was Monarch. They built a new kind of personal finance app that's intuitive and powerful ad-free, and constantly improving based on customer feedback. Monarch has a tool that allows you as well to easily import your data from Mint. You can keep all of your tags and all of your categories. After trying Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com etm. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash etm for your extended 30-day free trial. 
Financial anxiety, anyone? Yeah, you're not alone. But worrying about it, it doesn't help. Earnin does. Earnin is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. You just download the Earnin app and verify your paycheck. Then you can access up to $100 per day as you work and leave an additional tip. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. So how would you spend the money you get from Earnin? Well, Honestly, my hubby and I have been feeling a little bit disconnected lately. That's what happens after you've been together about 12 years. So I would spend the money on a special date night with dinner and maybe bowling, you know, to bring back some of that giggly excitement that we both felt at the beginning. Make Earnin a part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, when I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability, security, gives me a lot of peace of mind. Download Earnin today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earnin app, type in Talkin, T-A-L-K-A-N, money under podcast when you sign up. It will really help the show. Talkin money under podcast. Subject to your available earnings, location, daily max, and pay period max. See earnin.com slash T-O-S for details. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. I'm Samantha Cole, host of the new season of Understood, The Pornhub Empire. Over the course of four episodes, I'll tell you how a horny YouTube knockoff in Canada came to dominate the porn world, only to shatter their cheeky reputation in a massive scandal. The Pornhub Empire is a new season of Understood from the CBC. Available now wherever you get your podcasts. I can go to a restaurant that has the Chinese food of a certain region and I've never experienced it before. And I'm literally eating something I've never eaten before or like a seasoning mixture I've never experienced before. So I just, there's, if if you want to put the time and effort into it, you can have so many amazing dining experiences just by like checking out everything that's out there. And of course, that means that you have the time to do it and you have a car and, and you have the money to do it. And also it's, right. it's easier said than done, but we do, it, it is something that people can do. Yeah, I, I like that a lot. And I've certainly over the last, I don't know, 10 plus years, married my husband and I've sort of reimagined eating out. Like I used to want to go to maybe what you would classify as like a fancier restaurant. Like I thought, okay, that's the experience of like going out. Mm -hmm. But now my favorite places are like the small mom and pops that, you know, I mean, I could, I I could have like a burger, like a really good burger every single night of my life. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. (laughs) And I just find more joy, I think in, you know, going to smaller places where maybe they specialize in like one dish or something Mm -hmm. like that. Like for me, it just feels like if I'm going to spend my money on, on eating out, like I want it to be like a really good experience. You know, I'm sure you've had those times where you've gone out to eat and you, you've spent a lot of money and you're like, I mean, I could have just eaten at home. Like it really didn't, I really didn't need to do this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And of course, people are looking for different things when they go to restaurants. Some people are less interested in the food and more interested in like gorgeous ambiance or gracious service or something like that. There's lots of different things you can look for in your dining out experience. 
Yeah, I wanted to go back to a little bit of the of the fast food uh, culture. I was doing some research and I was really amazed that the first fast food restaurant was actually in 1921, 1921 and it was White Castle. Mm-hmm. And I went to school, uh, college in Indiana, Indiana University. And I mean, I never set foot in a White Castle. <laughs> and I would tell you there's not that there's anything wrong with it. But there were, you know, a lot of stories of people eating White Castle and, you know, maybe having to sit on a toilet for an extended period of time. <laughs> oh, and so I thought, you know, that's probably like not the experience I want to have. So I found it so fascinating that 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 was the first fast food restaurant. But I also think it's it's really interesting. There was an article I found in the Smithsonian, it says that there's this emotional component to which we like fast food to be indulgent, a treat, a kind of unhealthy, like guilty pleasure. And so when I think back to money, like our food system really comes back to money, we create this like cheap food, so everybody can afford it, but it isn't great for our bodies, then we have these like expensive medical conditions, like diabetes that are that are on the rise. But it still doesn't stop our love from from fast food. Like, how do you think fast food? Like, where do you think it fits in the equation of of eating out? Is it just that it's so convenient? I don't. I, I mean, I guess again, like, I feel like it's convenient because of the way that American culture has been set up. I mean, like the actual physical part of it with the civic planning. But I also think that they didn't make fast food cheap so that everybody could enjoy it. I think they made it cheap so that everybody would eat it. You know, Um, we we've all seen these reports about how it can actually be less expensive to get fast food than to go grocery shopping. And I think that's by design in the same way that they hire the world's best scientists at these fast food restaurants to make sure that the food tastes delicious. That's why anytime someone says the McDonald's tastes gross, I'm like, I don't believe you. (laughs) They have spent billions making sure that it is delicious. (laughs) There's plenty of reasons not to eat it, but it's not that it doesn't taste good. Um, So yeah, the food science and the, and the car culture and everything, it's really hard to get away from eating fast food. Um, I don't think it should be considered a guilty pleasure just because I think there's very few things on this planet that are pleasures that we need to feel guilty about. (laughs) Sometimes it's the, it's, it can be the only option, um, for instance, late at night. And even if you're not partying, maybe you work the swing shift. That's the only thing that's going to be open. There's a lot of reasons why people don't stop eating fast food. Which hence comes back to exhaustion again. <laughs> yeah, that's like, it's such a through line in American culture. <laughs> have you seen, uh, I don't know if you've done any research, but are do other countries have as big of a fast food culture as we do here in the US? Yeah, um, not every country and in some countries still, I mean, I think, I don't know if this is just something food people know, but you know, when McDonald's expanded into Europe, it was actually very expensive in Europe relative to other restaurants. I think that's less true now. The prices have somewhat evened out. But I do think that, I do think that people, I I think I already said this, but uh, they're more intentional in other countries about going out. Like I think about how in Japan, it's a big cultural thing to buy a bucket of KFC on Christmas. Um, that's purposeful. They're like, okay, this is the tradition that we are going to do. Um, something I think about a lot is Korean barbecue because I've heard so many people in America say like, I can't believe Koreans eat like this every day, but they Mm, don't. Going out to barbecue 
is a big deal. <laughs> like, and, and it should be, this is like such an indulgence. Um, it, and it's, I think it says something about Americans that so many of them think that this is how Koreans eat every day in Korea. It's like, no, I think that in other countries, people go out to restaurants because they specifically want a specific dish or something like that. Yeah. It kind of shows our lack of understanding or empathy for their culture. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. And also forgetting that uh, everything is so easy um, to obtain in the United States. And then, of course, you can sabotage yourself, like your example of the people who are spending $3,000 a month going out to eat. <laughs> but but think about how easy it is to do that. That's crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's it is it is crazy. I, you know, I, I can remember being a kid and there were specific nights of the week when it was like, OK, we're going to go eat out. And we have like our regular restaurants. I mean, there wasn't as many choices Mm -hmm. uh, and I was, you know, a kid, I grew up for about seven years in Houston, Texas, and there wasn't that many places that you can choose from. And some of them were, you know, obviously chain restaurants. I think back then they had a little bit better quality of food, but I can remember the conversation being around, you know, we're going to eat out and it always having this buildup that it, that, that was kind of like a special occasion. That was something that we didn't do all the time. So I like hearing that other other countries and cultures kind of have that same sort of approach to eating out. And I wonder if we if we brought that more into our own lives that that might change our relationship a little bit with with eating out. Maybe have it feel more like like a special moment. Yeah, absolutely. But I think that so many things would have to change. In a lot of other countries <laughs> existing is less expensive. Right, so the yes. restaurants maybe are more expensive, but that's okay because your rent isn't taking 70% of your paycheck. So it's, it's a structural problem. Excuse me. It's a structural problem that almost has nothing to do with the restaurants itself. It's, it's about the entire culture. I love, I love when the onion starts to get you know, start digging <laughs> yeah. down. That's when it starts to get really juicy and exciting for me because yes. you're absolutely right. Like we, if we're going to look at that, you know, stack of bricks, we have to really kind of get down to the bottom and figure out, you know, what's what's really going on. And, yeah. you know, I want to talk a little bit about yourself. You cover so many amazing topics on your podcast, Smart Mouth, and everything from where do we think Al Pastor comes from to <laughs> I love this one, mayo and menstruation. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, you know, tell me a little bit about about your podcast, like how this evolved and what gets you so excited to to talk about food and food history in this way. Yeah, I've always been a food writer, but I've always been more interested in sort of the story behind the plate than the actual taste of the food on the plate. I like the why. Like, why do people eat what they eat? So Smart Mouth is a great way to do that because I have a guest and I ask what their favorite food is. And then we talk about the history of that food and, and you get to have you get to like be nosy about an individual's life and past and then also <laughs> learn a lot of cultural information through food. I think that you could easily argue that food informs culture, culture informs food, they are intertwined. So it's actually like a much bigger picture. And then with the Smart Mouth newsletter, where I have contributors writing, I have people from all over the world. So they are able to tell stories that I don't have the kind of access to, I would never have known about the in France running through cabbage fields while you're on your period. That's not something that they talk about in the guidebooks, you know, <laughs> <laughs> they should. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> What do you do you have like a favorite episode? Oh boy, I 
Yes. Uh, one in particular, I don't know. I really like the episode um, about spam that I did with Helen Hong, who is on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me a lot. Um, because the history of spam and and why so many um, Pacific Island uh, Pacific Islanders eat it and East Asian people. Um, it has to do with the war industry. <laughs> this is the thing. I, I was already pretty liberal to begin with. The show has made me even more progressive because <laughs> finding out that the way we eat is actually due to military inventions was very eye-opening. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that is crazy. Like, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have thought that, but it's actually not very surprising. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Just like so they they invent products that soldiers can use out on the field and then they have the factory set up and they have the technology already in place. So it's like, well, we need to keep selling this cheese powder. So they invent products that you put cheese powder on. It all makes sense. I mm. I, I always worry that I sound a little unhinged when I talk about this stuff, but I promise it's true. <laughs> <laughs> I can think of a lot of things that we put cheese powder on. Some of them exactly. are very delicious. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Is there any like food or cuisine that you actually don't like to eat? Oh my goodness. Um, I, I have a very sensitive palate, so I have a hard time with spicy food. Um, although, you know, as you age, your taste buds die, so it's getting easier for me. <laughs> <laughs> Every year then, you're like, all right, I can put yep, on more yep, spice. Exactly. And I really don't like olives. Um, so that I have experienced the hardest for me is Greek. Oh, um, yes. But that doesn't mean I don't like the food. It's just like, please keep olives away from me. <laughs> <laughs> I fully understand. I think I think it's always interesting. As interesting it is to uh, to talk about, you know, what you don't like to eat. Is Do you have like a favorite like splurge that you love to eat out? Splur I don't know, because the types of restaurants I actually enjoy the most right now are um, less expensive. But I have noticed that ice cream is extremely expensive these days. And I don't think that's wrong. Um, I think that if they're using good ingredients, it should be extremely expensive. But when you go and you get like a scoop of ice cream for $6, it's a little bit like, Woof, why am I doing this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, it's one of those where you just like, don't, don't, don't think, don't look at the price. Yeah. Just, yes, <laughs> you deserve it. Get the ice cream. <laughs> right, right, right. It's funny. I, I talk about always building in a reward into your, your monthly spending plan. And I always use the example of, of ice cream, like treat yourself to, you know, a scoop of ice cream, like something I would say, like, I, you know, we said our, our, our splurge about, you know, $25 or less, like go spend on something like that. So that's a great example. Yeah. And I think that's so smart because when you deny yourself everything, I mean, that's when people really freak out and go on benders, right? Like you have to, you have to have a little bit of fun in your life. Yeah, I totally agree. Well, I, I'm just curious with, with the pandemic and, you know, everything we've been through the last, last couple of years, uh, you know, have, have restaurants really come back from the pandemic or, you know, did, did that time period really reshape kind of what, I guess what the history is going to be around eating out? Well, owning a restaurant is a really iffy proposition in the best of times. So I don't know. I, I don't think any work has been done yet about restaurants during the pandemic, but you know, a ton closed, a ton opened too. Um, and there's something like a 60% failure rate for restaurants within the first three years, et cetera. So there's constant turnover in restaurants, any at any point. Um, everyone has different theories about how restaurant going is, 
is going to be going forward. But I kind of have been thinking a lot more people are working from home and they're going to keep it that way. And I wonder if things will switch where instead of being like, oh my God, I want to get home. I don't want to look at anyone. I've been with my coworkers for nine hours. If you're going to be like, I've been alone all day, I would like to go see other humans. So maybe people (laughs) will go to restaurants more. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. So kind of like along those lines, what... I mean, is is that what you think the, the future is gonna is gonna look like? Since yeah, we are sort of in this work from home phase. Uh I think it could. <laughs> like I said, like every you know, there's people who are like, well, all restaurants are closing, nothing will survive, everything good is going away. I don't, I don't know because there's so many, you know, there's so many different experiences in the United States. It's not a monolithic culture, so everyone's going to do something different. I don't know. I'm scared about the economy. I guess if like we are all broke, all restaurants will close down, but I don't know. Fingers crossed that won't happen. From Foreign Policy, I'm Rena Ninen, the host of the Hidden Economics of Remarkable Women. Over the past few years, we've looked at how women around the world are changing societal norms to increase their economic power. This season, we're focusing completely on girls, how they're pushing for a brighter, more powerful future, and what the rest of us can do to set them up for success. Join us for stories about girl power, young women who are fighting for change, to give themselves a chance to live a life of their own choosing. That's season six of The Hidden Economics of Remarkable Women, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Karina Bemisterfer, host of Morning Cup of Murder, your daily true crime podcast. Yes, you heard me right, daily true crime. Every day, Morning Cup of Murder tells you a straightforward, short-form story about murder, true crime, cold cases, disappearances, serial killers, cults, and more. And I do that all in under 15 minutes. With over three years of stories and over 20 million downloads, the Morning Cup of Murder podcast has become a staple of so many people's daily routines. So why not add it to yours? Stream Morning Cup of Murder everywhere you listen to podcasts. And remember, stay safe. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, oh. Yeah, let's do some like sing- serious finger crossing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that if we look back at the history of eating out, what we can see is that no matter sort of what's been going on with the economy, people are still figuring out some way to go eat out and like to have that that little tiny slice of 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 heaven if you will, like, eating whatever they think is delicious. Yeah. And that's another thing too. When you go out, you don't have to get a three course meal. Um, Along the lines of the ice cream example, you can go to a more upscale restaurant and just order two appetizers, say. I mean, there are are all those tips and tricks if you want to save some dollars while you are still (laughs) enjoying yourself and living your life because you only have one of it. So... Yeah, there was there was a time when uh, Jeff and I were first married. I think it was when we were first married. And we used to go to like all the happy hours and, you you know, order off the happy hour menu. And I think there was a point in time where we decided like, okay, maybe we should 
we should switch switch things up from like going to the happy hours. But we were like, this is a this is a way for us to go to a restaurant that we you know want to go to, but you know not have to pay like thirty dollars a dish or you know. I guess the risk that maybe it wasn't as as tasty, but I think you know yeah. the happy hour like really died in the pandemic, and I'm I'm quite sad because it was a great way to experience a restaurant without having to have a ton of cash. Yeah, and you know, there's also the chance that something will happen with restaurants that has never happened before, and that we can't even predict because this happens in in all sectors, right? right. Like 15 years ago, you wouldn't have expected that people would care about what Twitter was doing, what was going on on Twitter. I don't know. There's probably a restaurant equivalent to that. There's so, you know, in a way, we're almost going back to olden times. Um, in Los Angeles, at least, uh, people started doing interesting things like selling bagels out of their apartment and they live on the second floor and they would just, you'd ring a bell and then they'd send a basket down from their window. That's so old school, but it's happening in 2022. Nice. <laughs> Yeah, I like that this is sort of cyclical and people kind of come back to the oldies but goodies that actually right. worked because it just comes down, right, to how, how good and tasty is the food, no matter sort of what the mechanism is for you to actually get the food. Yeah, absolutely. And it can be a little fun. It's, it feels like a little adventure if like you're going and showing up in an alleyway and then a basket yeah. of food comes down. Like, right. that's cute. That's fun. <laughs> that yeah well i'm i'm wondering if there are any i don't know if you have your your finger on this pulse but i wonder if there are any food trends that you think in in 2023 are going to be uh kind of on the rise like people are going to be eating more of this certain food or in, in this type of restaurant oh boy that's such a good question i i think people are going to try everything there's some things that i don't think will ever work because people have been trying too long. Um, you know, uh, marijuana and even psychedelics are becoming more and more legalized across the country. And so there's more businesses having to do with them. People are always trying to open up uh, restaurants that specialize in cannabis infused food. Not happening. I just don't think it's happening. People have been trying to do it in LA for 15 years. And if it's not going to work here, it's not going to work anywhere else. Um, right. That's one very specific example. <laughs> uh, but in terms of bigger picture, yeah, I think it's actually still a perfect time for experimentation. And so we're going to see a lot of that. Um, and I think, you know, from a consumer point of view, that's always fun. I love when Catherine shared that she believes that food informs culture and culture informs food. I think it's really interesting to think about it that way. It's such a it's such a cool topic, eating out. And Hopefully you learned some really good information in this conversation. And if anything, it just inspired you to maybe take a look at how much money you spent eating out last month. It's always a huge eye opener. This number, it might surprise you, just like the people I talked about in this episode. But if anything, it just brings this awareness to how you're spending your money and Maybe even if you look at that number and you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I spent that much money eating out. Maybe it might also lead you to think about what are the motivating factors when you decide to eat out? Or maybe you decide to spend a little bit more money than you thought you should that month. How are you feeling? How are you feeling about your life? How are you feeling about money? Starting to notice those things that are going on in your life and your, your relationship with money and your thoughts and your feelings 
that's a really good way to start making some changes. But only if you want to, right? Because I encourage you to eat out. You got to have some fun in life. But just maybe do it with a few little boundaries. Like challenge yourself. See see what you can do and see how you can maybe reroute a little bit of your money, just a small fraction of the money you spend eating out towards another goal. I did this challenge last year where I cut our eating out expense each month by just about 5 to 7% each month. And I put that extra money in a savings account and I didn't touch it until the end of the year. And the end of the year when I came in the account, I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe how much money is in there. So we got to do something fun with the money and it was just a little bit of a fun exercise. But just a reminder to to also keep money fun and interesting for yourself, right? Because you're going to be in this long-term relationship with your money. So you might as well have a little fun along the way. If you want to connect with Catherine and learn a lot more about food and food history, you can go to smartmouthpodcast.com where you can find all her podcast episodes and newsletters. And if you're specifically looking for some great eating out tips in Los Angeles. Catherine just launched howtoeatla.com, so be sure to check that out. If you enjoyed this episode, I mean, who doesn't love talking about eating out, right? Share it with some friends or family members. Spread the word of the show. It's one of the best ways that we get this show to continue to grow. And if you love this episode, go over to uh, Apple Podcasts. There's a link right in the show notes and leave a review for this show. As always, you can head to the show notes for all the links to our episode guests, as well as the sponsors who make this show possible. I'll see you back here in a few days for a brand new episode.